Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontifarac. Today in the house from Deloitte, can I say good pal? Good pal, David Mallon. David is Vice President, Chief Analyst at Deloitte. And he's the market leader for Deloitte's Insight to Actions team. He and the Insights to Action team help clients to sense, analyze, and act with purpose and precision at the ever-shifting intersection of work, workforce, workplace, and industry. Part of Deloitte since 2013, so what's that, 10 years? David is a former head of research for Burson, where I first, first met David, I guess, about 15 years ago or so. He brings more than 20 years of experience in human capital and is sought-after researcher, thought leader, and speaker on organization design, organizational culture, HR, talent, learning, and performance. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about Deloitte's 2023 Global Human Capital Trends Survey and Report, which pulled 10,000 business people and HR leaders across every industry with 105 countries participating. The survey data is complemented by interviews with executives from some of today's leading organizations, and these insights help to shape the trends in the report. David, so good to see you. Thanks for dropping by, as we like to say. First question is about boundaries, and it's a really key point that comes up you know, in the report itself. And so basically, Deloitte's suggesting that the boundaries that were once assumed to kind of be the natural order of things, you know, that work can be clearly defined by processes that... Should I say processes for my American viewers? Um, jobs can be categorized and contained within wholly kind of within the organization, that work occurs within the four walls of the workplace, and that the organization can center their decision-making around shareholders and the bottom line, which is really falling away. These are wonderful kind of new boundaries that are emerging. So what do you take from what's happening with the research you've conducted and just basically you and I kind of growing up, if you will, the past 15 years or so and getting to this intersection point of this kind of boundaryless organizational uh, movement? First off, uh, thank you very much for having me, Dan, and certainly good to see you again and nice to have an opportunity to chat. Um, so you know, as you've introduced the study, um, we've been doing this thing that we call global human capital trends now for, um, actually, I think this is the 12th year of this project. We think it's the largest of its kind where we go out every year and we try to take a pulse on beyond even just the traditional boundaries of HR. What are those forces at play that are, are um, pushing organizations to uh, ask different questions, think differently about the people side of business, about this Know, thing we would call human capital. And of course, doing it over that time frame, we there are some things that have been you know trending the, the the whole of that span. And there's some things that kind of pop up new and different over time. Um, but I, I kind of use that little bit of a, a, a history to say when we were started down the path of doing this year's version, um, there's some underlying parts to methodology that are always true. We go out and we we do a big survey, we do a lot of interviews, we try to get a sense of what those forces could be. And then we try to get a sense of, okay, with those candidate trends, as it were, which ones um, is there more or less a sense of urgency, which for which ones are there more or less a sense of preparedness. Mm. And like all good consultants, we love our you know two by twos. We can kind of then cross them and compare and get a sense of, okay, so that means what in terms of right now in the world, um, 
leaders in business and HR and otherwise, what should you be paying attention to? What are you probably already feeling and may not be able to put words to? And where do you go from here? It's not predictions. It really is trends. It really is sort of looking at what are the currents under the water that you may not be seeing, but you're certainly feeling. And in that context this year, as we started down this path, myself and the other authors began to realize part of the challenge this time around was just in the labels, in the category, in the categories, in the, it was harder to draw bright lines between the trends and say, you know, they fit into these nice and, and easy boxes because as you noted in the introduction, these things that we have just as in business uh, for essentially the history of a modern enterprise, we've just kind of come to assume, we've come to assume that we can organize work in a job. We've come to assume that work happens in a certain place, an office, a factory, a, um, a, a hospital, a, a, a store, what have you. We've come to assume that the workforce fits into nice, easy categories of your on balance sheet employees and maybe also some consultants and partners and so forth, right? We've come, we've come to just assume these things and as a leader in an organization, we don't have to think about it. What we have to worry about is, you know, what are what what our clients or our customers want? What products we're going to create? How do we how do we find the raw raw materials we need or the people that we need? We, those are the questions. We didn't have to think about the work. The work was fixed. It was repeatable. Yeah. It was it it it. We didn't have to think about how we break it up or how we uh, assign it or how we um, match it to the worker. And it's that that so ultimately became kind of the core ideas behind this year's study and is is how do we deal with a world in which those basic boundaries are not as well defined as they were at best questioned if if they still exist at all in some places. And so what? So in a leader and organization now, how do you move forward where um, the job as a construct isn't what you thought it was? And, and so on. One of the things that you're bringing out, I suppose, in one of the trends, which was new for me based on me being one of those regular observers of the Deloitte study that comes out every year, uh, you're quoting it as think like a researcher. And I love it because ultimately you're saying, look, more specifically, uh, you know, there's this sort of navigation that we must undertake toward the end of jobs. And as a sidebar, your colleague Michael Griffiths has been on this show previously talking about the end of jobs and the more skills-based ethos that's required in our organizations. It also suggests, however, that there's this sort of better boundary, right, between humans and technology, which then portends to activating a more, uh, a different kind of future of work with things like where do we work from, what's the metaverse, what's virtual working look like, et cetera. So Help me understand a little bit what Deloitte's point is with think like a researcher with that kind of uh, extra background that I provided. Yeah, sure. So um, again, forgive me, I'm going to do, do a little bit of a rewind to kind of paint a picture going forward. So you introduced me at the start by saying, you know, my background, I, I was the head of research for Burson for most of its existence. I'm used to being in a role in which part of my personal value proposition was helping companies find answers mm. was to do this thing that we would call leading practice research to identify how best to do some part of the HR world. Right. And so what organizations would come to me and my team for were answers were tell me how best to do this thing. Tell me how best to 
hire or to develop or to manage the performance of or what have you, right? And as that, my personal career in that business has a, had evolved over time, we began to realize that actually in a world where work, where these boundaries are increasingly fluid, changes happening at much shorter and shorter time cycles, there are disruptions like the pandemic now, but who, you know, you can only imagine the single biggest bet we, the easiest bet we can make is there's going to be another similar disruption at some point in the very near future. We just don't know exactly what it is. In that kind of world, the notion that you're seeking answers is itself problematic. And we, as well as other voices in the market, um, you might be familiar with Adam Grant, and and he's been talking about this for a while too. There's this notion that um, we needed to not just help clients find the next answer. We need to help clients think like what my team would have done in the past. Think like an analyst, think like a researcher, Mm -hmm. Um, see the world as a series of tests, see the world as a series of experiments, see the world, see decisions as hypotheses. And in, from the point of view of a leader in an organization, rather than putting your ego in the answer, in being successful because you're the smartest person in the room or you're going to get to the answer faster, put your ego in the quest, in the investigation, in the, in the asking, not the answer. And if you're going to win, you're going to win on your ability to, to actually change your mind faster, to when presented with new information to reach different conclusions. And that was one of those kind of key underlying ideas that as we were putting this study together, we realized you know, we group the trends into these categories for ease of use, but also because there's some, you know, cross cross themes. To be honest, most of the trends could fit into most of those cross themes, but these, the three that were in this theme were specific, they jumped out to us as examples, as examples of what it looks like if an organization is looking at these boundaryless challenges that it's, that, it's, that are facing it. So for example, the, the construct of the job kind of falling away well, what do we do about that? Well, this is not a wor- this is not a moment in which we're going to tell you you're going to do X, Y, and Z, but we are going to tell we are we are trying to help a client understand uh, maybe there are ways to more in a, a faster, more nimble, more agile, or more granular way get at what value needs to be created in the work, and what value can the worker bring, and so a skills based you know meth- uh, uh, framework is just one way to do that, but. It, what we're seeing in the world right now is lots of experimentation on that for, on that topic. Tr- lot, you know, no one is doing it all kind of end to end, but there's lots of trial. There's lots of there's lots of figuring it out. There's lots of of experimenting with different ways to approach work itself, different ways to approach what the worker can bring, and so that's this notion of so one example amongst many of where approaching these problems, approaching decisions as experiments and hypotheses, not as something to plant a flag in the ground and then rally troops around, uh, um, is more likely to just be, even successful is not the right word, but but uh, evolving in positive directions, if that makes sense. Well, you kind of had me at hello. And the reason being, <laughs> when I went through the report was, Five years ago, before Adam, and I kid him with this, about Think Again, I put out a book called Open to Think. And in it, I urged leaders and organizations to inculcate a culture of what I call dream, decide, do, repeat. 
because we are so busy with the doing, we forget that if we marinate in the moments of the dreaming and we kind of, as you point out later on in the report, co-creation can become such an incredibly vital piece to the dreaming and the decision-making and that we're almost in a perpetual uh, dish of experimentation through co-creation, I think it just creates a better end result, but also a better culture ultimately. Is that fair? And did you see some of that with your your co-creation uh, advice inside the the research itself? We did. We um, in in 2021, we actually did not do a full uh, end-to-end trends report because of just the world was almost too unstable. We didn't feel like it was we could do it justice. But what we did do were a couple of special reports that looked at these kinds of questions in the pandemic context. And one of them looked specifically at how the relationship between the worker and the organization itself is just fundamentally in question and scenarios into the future of how that relationship might play out. And I bring that up is to say, one of the things that was just clear to us is um, there are certain things that are just going to be true into the future. One of which is worker agency. It doesn't matter that the job market may shift one way or the other. Um, something has happened, uh, the, you know, genies out of the bottle, Pandora's out of the box. It, it, it doesn't, something's happened. Workers have an expect different expectation for the value proposition for work itself, why, what they want to get out of their relationship with the organization. And that is, um, that, that is just something that organizations can try to hide from, or they can try to thrive in as a, as a construct. And so, this notion of co-creation came from that. And there's no, we don't foresee a future in which the, the organizations that do thrive aren't recognizing that the workforce, the worker has as much to contribute to the authorship of the organization's future as do its executives or its investors or other stakeholders, right? They're, the The worker, the workforce, broadly speaking, is a source of tremendous innovation, a source of tremendous value, a source of tremendous energy, um, and can contribute to the authorship of that future if you create those ways, those 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 environments, those venues, those mechanisms to have that co-creation happen. We talk about in the study specifically um, things like, like I said, worker, the, you know, just dealing with worker agency in general, but. One of the ones, one of those areas that I think right now companies perceive as risky, but actually has tremendous potential value is data. Data mm-hmm. is all around us. Organizations correct, collect a tremendous amount of data. They actually probably collect far more data than they even realize they collect. And they're and the workforce is just beginning to wake up to the fact that most of that data actually is created about them or by them or with them. So why isn't it created for them? Right. That that's a that's a, an example of where it's in both sides of this equation's interest, workforce and organization, to stop and have a conversation around. Hey, we can actually do some really amazing things with it, this data that will benefit both organization and workforce. But let's have a conversation around it. Let's have a let's actually co-create a future related to this data because the alternate case is just as likely here where the the groups end up in conflict or there's too much risk. And you could see either because a regulator says so, or because the organization just decided it's not worth it, that they decide not to collect the data, decide not to go down this road because it's just not worth the hassle. And there's a tremendous lost potential opportunity there 
because we didn't get people at the table and actually try to figure out how to make it beneficially useful. Well, and I don't know if this is irony or just uh, point blank, duh. You also point out in the report that um, organizations with higher worker involvement in designing and implementing, you know, organizational change, and thus perhaps to your point of uh, utilizing said data, uh, the workers stated that they're 1.8x more likely to have that engagement yep. uh, of themselves in the workforce, 2x more likely to be innovative, and 1.6x more likely uh, than their peers to anticipate and respond to change effectively. So it seems that you're correlating this point by data, <laughs> and it's suggesting that like it's just a no-brainer to co-create. So is it is that, again, fair, or is there some other extension to this argument? I'm actually really glad that you called out those stats. That was us bringing a little bit of the Burson um, maturity research method to our trends research and comparing uh, some of the self-reported outcomes against some of the the the, the, um, the uh, trend findings in the study. And yes, as you note, those that I'm going to paraphrase a bit, but those organizations that tended to um, tried to support some some element of co-creation, showed higher out, uh, higher outcomes. You know, there, there's a there's a there's something I will say I will admit there's something a little bit circular about the notion that yes, of course, this is a, if you increase the number of people who are listening in your organization, if you if you leverage the full power of the network that is your organization, you're going to have more eyes and ears. You're going to have more more brain just raw brain power devoted at the kinds of questions you're trying to answer for your clients or in the market or what have you, right? So of course, it just stands to reason that if I get everybody in my organization thinking about the challenging problems in front of me, well, why wouldn't I expect to yeah. um, come up with more options and get there faster, right? Yeah, I, I suppose that's the duh part uh, of my <laughs> argument earlier, David. But yeah. at the same time, I mean, those that aren't doing it sort of are missing out on this incredibly important and lucrative opportunity. I mean, it's just, it's like the two heads are better than one theory times a million for so many different outcome positive uh, effects that occur. Okay. You brought up agency just uh, a few minutes ago, and I want to circle back to that because I have a question for you that relates ultimately about you and I and being of a certain wine vintage, I might say, and, and where we are right now. So, is it fair to say, David, that prior to the pandemic, we were heading down to down the path, sorry, of a, a greater sense of agency that was desired by the team member? The pandemic hits, and as you point out, you know, the genie's well out of the, the bottle, but did it exacerbate? And is there sort of a point of no return now where if the employer and senior leaders aren't actually addressing said elephant in the room, which is the desire for agency or else, dot, 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 then, then what is it that they stand for if they're not actually addressing it? Well, let me, I guess, um, come at that just to say, sort of simply to say that um, I, I would say we've been talking about a rise in the power of the individual actually for several years. It's been a theme of many of our trend studies over the last probably decade, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and you, some of, some of the, maybe the, the, the foundations, the platforms, the venues in which that are kind of, that help have helped to make that happen 
some of that's technology, you know, having having uh, the the microphone the the that is um, social media, for example, or ways to better connect uh, work different kinds of workers to each other, ways to communicate faster, broader across audiences, et cetera. All that's part of it. Um, certainly, data plays into this because data leads to transparency. It leads us to to um, leads the walls of organizations to my idea about being boundaryless. Leads some of the walls of organizations to be more, more porous as well. So you know you can see um, companies don't nearly have as many secrets as they used to. Like you you can see what's going on inside the organization from the outside. You can get a sense of their culture, et cetera. Right. All these things lead to a world in which. Um, we, it's just a much, much more, uh, I don't want to overstate things too much, but a much more informed workforce broadly, right? And so um, pandemic, the pandemic, again, accelerated, exacerbated trends that were already there, um, leading to a world in which our workers know a whole lot about the organization, um, about other organizations around them, broadly speaking, and have more choices in front of them as to sort of what um, they might just feel it's actually within their right to ask for from their organizations, from just the experience of work itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that only seems like it's going to increase. We probably saw, we reference another big study that we do every year, which is our Gen Z and millennial study. And we quote a, a stat there that, um, and this is actually recent data. So this is um, not in the midst of the quote, quote unquote gray resignation. This is more recent data. Um, two in five uh, millennials have already left a job or um, rejected a job or an assignment because it didn't align with their values. Uh-huh. Um, and that's not just a U.S. number. That's actually a global trend. Um and there's, you probably have started to, if you haven't already, you've probably heard the latest, we like to we like to name things and give them kind of um, uh, funny names, but the latest uh, fad of the, of the week, as it were, is the, um, the Mondays, the uh, bare minimum Mondays. Um, it, 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 whether that's a thing or not, it doesn't actually matter. It kind of fits a broader narrative of workers around the world. Um, just thinking differently about what they fundamentally want to get out of work. And therefore that changes the questions they ask of their work, of their, of the organizations they work for. I I couldn't agree more in your, in the latter point there, because it doesn't matter what is being uh, spoken, videoed, if you will, right on TikTok or wherever, Instagram, if that creates a movement and the Gen X or boomer leaders are not paying attention to what said employee or team member is desiring in their place of work, then they've missed the plot altogether on where we are in terms of our maturation of the expectations of the organization. So I I could, I just honestly, David, I'm glad you brought that up because it's, it's exactly that, but it segues to our kind of final segment of questions, maybe more rapid fire, because at the end of the report, David, you're, you're pointing out that a brand new uh, kind of style of leadership will be required, you know, one that focuses on where leaders show up and how leaders show up and the mindset leaders adopt to kind of drive this new future work forward. But more specifically, you kind of come up with three. So let me read one and then you answer and say, and I'll ask you why in each one. And then uh, and then we'll we'll call it a day. And, and again, thank you for your time. 
So one of them is A, use experimentation to inform better solutions, foster learning, and accelerate value. So why is that a new leadership style requirement? Well, it it it, it uh, matches up exactly to uh, the the overall theme you referenced earlier of, of thinking like a researcher, of framing the challenge, framing every decision as an experiment. If you frame the key decision in front of you as experiments, it means that you will you will approach you will look for information. You you will naturally seek alternative cases. You'll naturally seek to be proven wrong. Um, yeah. And that will only lead to better answers. Love it. Okay. The second of three deals with relationships. And you suggest that to cultivate deep and intimate relationships with team members, the workers, across the broader ecosystem through co-creation. So again, back to the earlier point, but again, just summarizing, why is that so important, these relationship-building moments? Well, you're if you are going to have that ability to co-create with your workforce, and then we mean the broader, the broadest sense of the workforce, uh, and you're going to invite them to help author the future of the organization with you. Um, it only stands to reason that you need to get to know them. You need to get to know them at a much deeper level. Their aspirations. What do they want out of work? How can for I'll go back to the to the data example. What would they find valuable in terms of how we might use that data that we collect with them, about them, for them? Um, that just means that we need to sit down and have what is essentially a human conversation. Who shock, are you? Shock horror. We have to do that, David. Jeez, shame on you. Are you kidding me? All right, which which segues very nicely to the third and final one, which is the widen the aperture of one's decision-making to fully understand its impact with the human agenda in mind. Really? We got to be human about this whole thing? Come on, David. You're This is trash talking, really, isn't it? Well, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> the, the, the third set of trends, which we haven't necessarily gotten too much as much chance to talk about today, all do speak to this notion. Uh, and it, it is part of obviously the broader theme that's going on in the, in the business world today around things like stakeholder capitalism and just, yeah. and, and the, 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 you know, changing notions of theories of the firm, why does the organization exist? What is its purpose, et cetera. All that's part of this. And, and, uh, uh, you know, in some of the other work that Deloitte does, we talk about this notion of just sort of externalities. How does the how does the how does the firm keep track of and account for externalities? Just the things it has to deal with, whether that's sustainability or um, uh, risks broadly. And we're in a point in time where, partly because everyone's gun shy with the pandemic, C suites and boards are grappling with this ever growing list of contingencies, things that could go wrong, things that could cause the same same level of disruption that the pandemic just did. And that's environment, that's societal, it's technological, it's political, the list goes on and on and on. In that context, how do we recognize that we are organizations of humans, that humans are part, often part of the issue behind whatever the challenges are, but these issues directly impact humans and organizations as they look to solve these problems need to be cognizant of the humans and the impact to humans inside those organizations, outside those organizations, obviously our customers and our societies and so forth, that we can't not take this sort of holistic view of both who we're doing this for, but, how, but who it also will impact down the line. 
I always like chatting with you because you are the definition of a very kind, caring human being, David. Uh, thank you so much, Vice President, Chief Analyst, and Market Lead for Deloitte's Insights Action Team. Where can we find out more about you, Deloitte, and perhaps the survey report itself? So uh, the report, you can find at Deloitte.com slash human capital trends. And my and my team, action.deloitte.com. That's fantastic. David, can't thank you enough. Really loved your work previously. Love your work now. It's just, you know, you're giving such great thought leadership to the evolution of our organizations and leaderships in general. So thank you so much for what you do for, for us, those of us that are also trying to help the world make it a better place. Thank you, Dan. Happy to, to, to chat. All right, everyone. That was David Mallon, again, uh, Vice President, Chief Analyst, and the uh, market head and lead of Insights to Action at Deloitte. You've been watching another episode of Leadership Now. Thanks for tuning in.